Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. You can send along a comment there using our contact form, or you can send an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. I appreciate your contacts. It is good to hear from those of you all over Florida, the United States, and all over the world. So we're in Central Florida. And we are today going to be talking about Christian education and don't run away if you don't care about or know about Christian education. There's, there's going to be uh, rich content here for all of us. I serve on the board of Circle Christian School and I get to teach their government economics and a Bible course every year. The Bible course rotates between ethics every other year and on the other years it's a world view course and we teach um, a distinctly christian worldview and parallel that the summit textbook understanding the times with the book of romans and we use block scheduling there and that's kind of interesting and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes but as as you uh, contemplate this topic i want you to think about christian education more broadly uh, think about other Uh, Christian uh, organizations that are related. There are several ministries around here. I have friends who work at some of those ministries that are indirectly involved in education, pardon me. A couple of them are uh, involved in uh, organizations that uh, foster education to missionaries and missionary outreach and the like. So, so there, there are a number of organizations that, that I'm, I'm thinking of, a number of sub-industry categories when I talk about Christian education. Now, my journey with Christian education is kind of interesting. It goes back uh, years, many years. And even um, our daughter uh, attended a Christian school and then after fourth grade transitioned to Circle Christian School, another school, the one that I mentioned that I'm involved in, that offers uh, block scheduling and, and an interesting delivery model, fully accredited by Cognia, the big national accrediting organization, but does some things that are, are unconventional, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Not, not quite as traditional, still high quality, but offers uh, flexible scheduling and, and the like. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I got involved very directly in Christian education about 10 years ago when I helped a Christian school. I, I enjoyed a 30-year banking career, and the last half of that career was spent with uh, three independent banks, and we grew them and um, sold them and uh, started others. And I got to work with some really smart people. And, and along the way, uh, during the, the pendency of the uh, thir- operating the third bank, I met a school in Illinois. I've talked about it here on this podcast uh, called Aurora Christian School in Aurora, Illinois. And it's uh, run by uh, their superintendent is uh, Dr. Colette House. 
her dad, Paul House, actually started the school and they they had a banking issue and they were being foreclosed. And in fact, the process was pretty much done when I heard about them and God used us through a series of inputs. I got some help from a friend, Tom Coletta, and we began to uh, consider alternative financing resources for them. And and as I, I think about our episode last week with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, I, I, I think back and, you know, I have been in banking for about 30 years then. And, and I, I thought I knew a lot about banking, but I didn't know that there were some alternative funders that, that BlackRock, Nuveen, Oppenheimer, T. Rowe Price, and some of those firms have tax exempt bond funds, for example. I, I really didn't know the plight of the, the Christian educator, the Christian school. I didn't know how difficult funding was. I didn't know the state of the industry. I met Dan Egler, who was the president of ACSI at the time, the organization, Association of Christian Schools International, the leading association of Christian schools. I didn't know that the industry was in decline, that Christian schools were closing and that they were struggling with debt and banking relationships and all the rest. And I certainly didn't know that this urge that I had to engage in ministry to do something more meaningful was going to be met by involvement in these schools. And I didn't know that that would uh, lead to teaching and, and all the other things that I've done, including even this podcast. And I'm sure many of you have had a, a similar journey, but my, my interest in Christian education came originally from wanting my, our daughter, my wife and I wanting our daughter to, to be in a Christian school where she could develop a Christian worldview. And, and so that her life would be, uh, consistent so that the the things we learned at church were were reinforced to, to some degree in a in a in a good environment so and i i know those are the words that mean a lot of different things to different people and we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes but but this this industry i learned about 10 years ago as i'm in dan's office and i i was describing because Paul House had suggested, the founder of Aurora Christian School, had suggested that I go, he, the, the story was so incredible, the, this, this rescue, um, that uh, he suggested that I meet Dan and tell him about this. And I remember in that meeting, Dan said, you know, if you wanted to do this work the rest of your life, we could send you schools in perpetuity. You, you'd never get to them all. And, and Paul also uh, told some friends of his about the work that we did and and they began to call and I began to hear these stories I began to hear these themes that we'll talk about today in this episode and and uh I I it, it surprised me and I started just returning phone calls and then they called their friends and one thing led to another and ACSI made my little firm I started an LLC called Christian Financial Solutions DBA doing business as CFS Financial which I still operate today. And I didn't understand SEO or any of, you know, search engine optimization or, or social media strategies or anything else. Didn't do really any marketing to speak of. And and just kind of started showing up, uh, returning phone calls and the like and flying all over the country. And eventually I, I, I did this for a couple of years and saw that um, there's there were some threads that were common. So I wrote a book called The Financial rescue plan for nonprofits and the subtitle is leading your organization from surviving to thriving and and i i just remember 
seeing these common threads and with every school that I would speak to, they would, they would act as if they were the only school that had ever encountered these things. And they would, they would say things like, well, you don't understand in our market, we don't have a lot of money or, or you don't understand our banking relationship was really good. And now it's strained or, or we were, we were going along at a good pace and then something happened to enrollment and we did the big building project and built it so they would come and and they stopped coming and and now what do we do or we had a good relationship with the church that founded us and now we don't and they're throwing us out or or there's acrimony and 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 i I saw these patterns and and i saw well-intended board members who would say to the head of school well well I enjoy a good, my practice or my business enjoys a good relationship with XYZ local bank, regional bank or whatever it is. And so why don't you call my friend Fred at the local bank and Fred will take care of the school, I'm sure. And Fred says nice pleasantries because he loves having the relationship with the board member when the school contacts him. And then the school finds out months later after providing all kinds of information, the answer to questions, attending meetings ad nauseum, they find out that, well, you know, you're really not our kind of organization. And they never really got a no answer, but they kind of got a, a, a lack of interest they eventually saw. And they, they, they go from bank to bank to bank wondering, what are we going to do? We must be undesirable, but they're also nice. And then nobody tells us we won't do business with you because you're a nonprofit without guarantors and without shareholders, or we just don't believe in Christian education, or we just don't do these kinds of loans. So well-meaning folks all over the country, uh, I learned about 10 years ago, were struggling. And I saw these common threads. An- another common thread is, is, is we can't fill our seats. We, we have a waiting list in some classes and, and on for some courses. And oh, by the way, it's more expensive to provide uh, courses in the upper school grades, that is middle school through high school, than lower school. And it's, it's just difficult because if classes are, certain classes are popular, they fill up and we have a waiting list. But for others not so much or certain grade levels are difficult there are transitional grade levels and then there's the providing of the extras uh, depending on how you reference that it's it's extracurriculars and what we parents think of is it's the arts and it's sports and it's and it's some other things now it even includes robotics some places some places it includes things like aviation at circle some of our students even they they built two airplanes and flew them and got pilot's licenses and things like that. There's a, there's a culinary program. Uh, there's an arts program uh, that is incredible. And there are sports programs where they win, students win state championships in, in various sports. But, but those offerings sometimes in a Christian school aren't quite as extensive. And so you lose students going into sixth or seventh grade, or you lose them going into ninth grade, Maybe Christian education worked for elementary, but now that the student is older, it doesn't work quite as well. And then, then there's just this fact. And, and this, this is true in, if you look at the life cycle for a company, it's a fascinating thing to study to me. 
you might consider it boring. But if you look at companies that have been around for many, many years and are still successful today, those are few and far between. You have the, the poster child for the opposite of that is Sears, where they had this catalog business and this store business. They were in every mall. They, they ruled retail world in a lot of ways. And, and they just fell asleep and kept doing business the way they used to do it and went out of business into bankruptcy and gone. Shareholders reduced to nothing. So in terms of value. So this particular industry, Christian education in general, has, has gone from thriving years ago with this model that looks like we're describing here, looks very much like the traditional school model, only smaller with a Christian worldview taught and Christian in the logo on in the name uh, and, and, and without public, public funding and uh, all the rest, all, all of the things that come with it, kind of scratching and clawing their way along, but still enjoying success to now, not so much. Now, over many, many years, those who've kind of hung on to that model, unless they've made some adjustments strategically, are now struggling. The industry is in de- decline. Christian schools and churches have parted ways in many cases, even where the church started the school. The church is in decline. The major denominations are in decline. You know this. You know these things. I'm not telling you anything new here. So this industry has been hit hard. In an economic downturn, parents want to still protect the education of their students, but let's face it, they're paying taxes and and it becomes harder and harder as education becomes more and more expensive. It becomes harder and harder for parents to afford that. So this industry is struggling. And then you have the the, we were rocking along and everything was fine. And then, and then uh, enrollment started to erode. And now we're in a building we can't really afford. We might have taken on some debt 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago and refinanced it a few times. And we just don't get the terms we once did. And the banking relationship isn't what it once was. And now, now here we are and, and, and we're struggling. The industry is struggling especially those who are still embracing the 1970s, 1980s model. That's not to criticize you if you're involved, if you're on the board, you're, you're teaching or you're in the administration. I realize you are sacrificing every day and you care deeply about the education of your students. You care about the gospel. You live your life in a gospel-centric way and you are loving others as, as, the way you're supposed to. You're, you're, you're meeting the needs of a, you're loving with agape. You're, you're meeting the needs of others without reciprocity. You're, you're doing what Paul said. You're, you're outdoing each other in showing each other kindness. But this, this is now for all of the aforementioned reasons and some more, we've had, we've had economic decline in some areas where Christian schools are located. Some are just located in the wrong place and they've got debt and they're stuck they can't sell their properties. Their properties aren't worth much. They can't go to the right part of town. You'd be amazed how many schools that is true of. The, the residential, the suburbs, the, the wealth in the town, if you will, the, the, the economic activity has shifted and the school you know, isn't on wheels. It can't just move. And, and so there's, there's a struggle. There's a struggle 
in the in the industry. And if you're one of those people people who serves on the board or in an organization like that, I commend you and hope that you don't give up. I want in this podcast episode to encourage you. So if you're a parent and you have young children and you're regardless of what you're doing for education, I hope you'll you'll stay with me too because I've, I've got help for you as well, I think. Homeschooling has come along. We have these things called charter schools and, and homeschooling and, and that works great for some people. It's usually, um, n- not, not to sound like I'm uh, too old and traditional, but it, that, that usually falls on the mom in most families. Dads get involved too, and that's wonderful. But if mom is wired a certain way and the, the students are able, then, then homeschooling is a good alternative. Uh, there are resources out there. There are homeschooling groups, homeschooling co-ops, and, and that's, that's wonderful too. But what I would advocate for all of you to consider, those of you who run schools, Christian schools, those of you who are homeschooling, those of you who are in homeschool co-op, I would suggest to you that it makes sense to pool resources and have some sort of organized body that manages risk and provides Christian education. Whether you call it a, a Christian school or a cooperative, I really don't care. But there is value in not just socializing, not I'm not I'm not against homeschooling for that reason, but there's value in this pooling of resources if it's done well. I would advocate for block scheduling and, and folks who, who aren't familiar with that what I mean by that is longer class periods that meet fewer times per week. One of the beauties, and there are many, in Circle Christian School is the classes meet for an hour and a half. Some classes meet just once a week, some two times a week. So, so they, they meet about three hours a week for two sessions. And, and there's pressure on the, on, the, on the what do you do, you know, how do you deliver this effectively and still have honors level classes and dual enrollment college credit classes and on AP classes and all the rest. Well, you do it with, with an online system. Uh, we use a system called canvas and with a robust assignment model, instructing students uh, and guiding them along the way, even providing grade books and the like. And some of you are probably familiar with that whole system. But this this block scheduling model allows a school to really meet the needs of the student, to offer these extras, really enriching robotics and engineering and 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 arts and 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 athletics, uh, and and it it allows if if the time is used efficiently by a teacher in in class and by students as they do their work, then they have time for other interests and you should see what they do contrary to what you might think students aren't looking for time to go get in trouble they they are interesting they're smart they they are interested in politics and government they are you know if you have kind of that 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 homeschool inclination where you know you want to take your kids to government facilities and you want to see how government works and you want them take them to museums or expose them to music or, 
or or some other art, you you can do that in these models. There's an efficiency that is just unbelievable. And and I I know there are educators who uh, have their you have your masters in education or or a, a doctorate in education, and and you uh, you you think oh my goodness there goes quality. No, you can you can check out the test results. You can you can check out the grade level test results. You can check out uh, ACT, SAT, and all the rest, and you'll see that's just not the case. Quality. You, if if you if you hire the right faculty, you have the right administrators. Quality is still there. This creative scheduling can be disarming. I get it, and you, you can't just have students in study hall four hours a day and classes two hours a day. But if you contact me, I'll tell you more about how the model actually works. It's a beautiful thing. It 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 allows you to use your facilities more more. Um, cost-effectively, more efficiently. Um, it, it's just a, an excellent system. And and it allows students to spend a little more time. Time is still precious, and it, you never feel like you have enough. You, you know, that is, that is the human condition, part of the human condition, part of the implications of the fall are, are the, the challenges we have in our, with our finite limitations, the challenges we have with time. But, but there's a beauty to this system I would advocate for this. I, I would suggest that if you're in one of those schools that is a traditional school and the school is struggling, I would do an inventory. I would do an offsite or onsite if you have to meeting of a key stakeholders. And, and that includes a lot of people. And we could talk about that another time. But I would just take an inventory to say, do, do we even understand our value proposition anymore? And if you say, what's a value proposition? Well, I've got a mission statement and a strategic plan and, and, and we've got all this other stuff. We have vision and vision statements and all this other, I was going to say nonsense, but you know, it can be valuable and that's fine. But, but if you don't really know what your value proposition is, let me tell you what a value proposition is in my words. Um, I'm not looking at the dictionary right now, but um, value proposition is really the the who we are. It's the why people do business with us. And you can think about different companies. It's easy to do and think about why you do business with them. There's a reason you pay what you pay for, for an iPhone if you're an Apple person or, or a MacBook Pro or, or whatever or those um, whatever peripheral devices you have. Uh, there, there's a reason you, you, you pay for it because of quality. And, and and because of of some convenience and for technology and because it works and because of customer service and all the rest, it, it, these aren't fluffy reasons. These are real. Apple answers the call, <laughs> and some other companies do too. I I, I uh, talk to my students often. We play a, a game, a stock simulation game, where they pretend to invest a million dollars in the stock market. So we get to know lots of companies and. And I, I can I can tell you about many of them that that do you know there's all the social media companies are are interesting those platforms are interesting Facebook probably used to answer the value bell a little better I used to have a a value proposition that was maybe a little more effective but they left room for Instagram and and now there's Snapchat and you know, Twitter's kind of interesting uh, has it run its course or is Elon Musk going to change it and make it more vital. Uh, there's there's TikTok. Uh, there's all, all kinds of, of 
of channels, outlets, social media outlets, platforms. Um, and, and then you can think of companies in, in other industries. You can think of uh, food companies and uh, companies that are, are doing it really well. There's, there's a reason that people pay five bucks or whatever we pay for Starbucks. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a reason we shop where we, where we shop and it's not always the 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 low cost provider they're they're answering the the value proposition they know the value proposition they know why people are spending money with them well christian educator it is important for you to determine that that to know all of the things and it's complicated isn't it but know all of the reasons that you are appealing to the public you serve. And if you're a 501c3, if you're a nonprofit, you have a legal obligation to serve that public. And it's important for you to know what your value proposition actually is. If this sounds like a foreign language to you and you say, no, I like my old mission statement. Well, I want to grab you and shake you, give you a little shake to say, think about it in these terms. Disney understands its value proposition for all of its challenges. They understand their they understand that they are an entertainment company. They are not just a theme park. They are an entertainment company, and they are an experiential company. And they know why we spend money. They know how much money we will spend. Universal is similar. SeaWorld is similar. The Six Flags organization is similar. Are, are there any of those perfect? No. But they understand that we get an experience. The cruise industry, the vacation industry, the, the, the why we spend money the way we do to have an experience is, is, is just an excellent example of, of this value proposition. It's not hard to come up with for a Christian school, for our, our value proposition. People spend money with you for one of about four reasons, and, and you know what they are, not the least of which is the education of their children. The other might be the Christian worldview that we espouse. One another might be a gospel-centric lifestyle, which is different. It's it's they're related, but it's different than teaching from the perspective of a Christian worldview consistently. Another might be cost. An, an, another might be environment protection from a world that is harsh. Uh, 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 protection from. A, some of the downsides of a public school. It, it might be socialization over, over uh, homeschooling, uh, might be interfacing with other, learning to work in groups and interfacing with other students. They're, they're, they're just a few. And, and your value pop proposition has to address those items well. Another issue that you face is debt and legacy business and strategic decisions that have been made. And I hear this consistently i hear a lot of times i don't get the phone call or the or the email until that the school has done everything they know to do and they're and they're ready to throw their hands up and they say you don't understand we have a lot of debt we can't get out of it no one likes us no one wants to finance us and we have some legacy strategic decisions i'm not sure what they were thinking but now that we look back we say, wow, that board back then sure made a lot of mistakes or that administration made a bunch of mistakes and now we're living with the consequences. Can you please help us? 
And, and the answer is most of the time, yes. Don't despair. Just when you're at that point of giving up, and there are some heroic efforts going on around this country in this regard. There's a, there's a school in New York that I, I won't name, but they are, they are facing challenges like you wouldn't believe, and there are two young ladies who run that school, and they are determined not to quit. Another issue that comes up is fundraising. A number of Christian schools, Christian organizations, parachurch ministries have built their entire model predicated on successful fundraising. And that can be difficult to accomplish year after year after year. They'll, they'll say things like, you know, we don't have a big endowment. We don't have a lot of wealth. We maybe have a few wealthy families who believe in us and are generous with us, but we have to raise X amount of our budget just to break even. Well, that's no way to live. You can't live that way. I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to throw this out there. And, and, and there, there are a lot of you do heroic fundraising work, but your families who are educating their children at your school should pay the cost of the education and you should have the discipline. You can't just snap your fingers and get there if you're not there, but you should have the discipline to charge them what it, what the education of their students actually costs. That's a long discussion for another day. If you get my book on Amazon and read it, you'll see what I'm getting at there. But but being fundraising dependent is challenging. Having said that, for special projects, for growth, for enhancements, for, for uh, renovations, for additional space needs, for doing away with those 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 portable classrooms that are so difficult to manage and and adding to your grounds or your athletics facilities or your arts facilities for for doing those kinds of things sometimes you're going to have to do fundraising and there's a right and a wrong way to do that there's a god honoring way to do fundraising another category that i want to just touch on is is marketing i've got a couple more i want to touch on marketing and, and I, I know the temptation. There are two temptations here. One is we're having some financial stress and we can't afford marketing. Cut the marketing budget. And, and that might not be the dumbest thing you could do, but not for that reason, not for just to cut and save on expenses. You, you can't cut your way to prosperity typically. So, so, so there's, there's, marketing and 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 what do we do and we're having financial calamity or we're not accomplishing our goals we can see enrollment slipping what do we do well i, I want you to recognize something experts have been hired they'll, they'll charge you about 30 to forty thousand dollars, and 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 they'll study your marketing effort and here's what they're going to tell you uh, I'm, I'm not you know i don't want to disparage that industry if you need help you need help but but here's here's where they're going to land your parents, your families are your best source of marketing as a Christian school. You can send out all the flyers, do all the Facebook ads, all the whatever other social media you want to use. You can produce fancy videos. You can have an email list, 10,000 people strong. All those things are fine. If you, you like doing videos, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm doing some videos coming. Coming up, I'm going to start videoing this podcast because some people want to want to have a, a visual uh, and, and that's fine. Not, nothing wrong with those things, but your marketing effort has to be in a Christian school or a parachurch ministry that is involved in education. You have got to absolutely 
have to do organic marketing through those people who are involved in your organization, in a Christian school, your families. And you can't just insist that they call 10 friends a week and tell them about your school. You've got to make it easy for them to do so. You've got to have a robust, but well done, not cheesy, social media presence. And, and you've got to have a culture where people are naturally talking about the classes, the teachers, the sports, the arts, all the stuff at your school. Because a parent who, who understands that, a parent who gets it, who, who has experienced it and says to their friends, you won't believe what Susie experiences here. That, that is just worth a fortune. I'm not suggesting that you leverage, you know, like some of these commercials do, leverage your students and 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 do something unprofessional in promoting their their stories. I'm not suggesting that at all, but tell those stories, tell the story well. Tell it through free or low-cost promotional channels like social media. And engage your families, let them know their value and, and tell their story. Even your newsletters, almost every Christian school and parachurch ministry involved in education has a newsletter or two each week that goes out. You can even solicit their help without asking for their help by posting stories in those newsletters, featuring accomplishments, featuring students, catching people doing something right and putting, embedding the video, embedding the picture, embedding the story. Learn how to use language well to market your school and realize that it is organic marketing that is going to get you there. I see too many schools spend a fortune on a marketing firm. They go, oh, we got to go find one, and they do a big glossy something or other. And and they say, well, yeah, we we might have moved the needle a degree or two, but we didn't get there. Well, that's because... It is organic growth, organic marketing, organic promotion that is going to accomplish your objectives. I see other schools sometimes, and there are a few of these, not not many, thankfully, who every few years that the board fires the marketing person, or every few years they fire the head of school because they go, ah, that just didn't work. They just didn't. No, you culturally didn't do the right thing. You you didn't have. You didn't answer the value proposition properly. You didn't make some hard decisions that had to be made. And, and you didn't understand how you, the marketing of your organization works. Marketing and value proposition are like locked fingers on two hands. They go together. And when, they, when they're done right, they go together beautifully. A couple of mundane things. You're thinking, wow, that was all mundane. No, it's actually really beautiful and interesting and God-honoring when it works. Um, risk management is something you got to think about. The, the I, I know schools that have had everything from from racial tension to under being underinsured and having events that 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 are semi or totally catastrophic. Um, they they've had weak advisors with attorneys and CPAs. Shore up your risk management. Have insurance, the right amount of insurance. Go to commercial insurance brokers who are professional and get multiple bids and make sure that you are protected. 
have advisors in your corner, legal advisors and CPA. Don't give them the keys to your school. Don't let them run your school, but use the right advisor for the right area and make sure that you have a team. I'm not suggesting you go spend $1,000 an hour on the best attorney you ever heard about. Uh, I'm, I'm suggesting that you, you have a team of advisors. You don't go it alone, alone. You don't wing it. And, and, and you populate an, another item in risk management is populate your board with successful professionals who know what they're doing. That doesn't mean you don't have a, a mom or a dad from your school, or you don't have uh, others who, who believe in your cause, maybe a pastor, but you don't have like one school I, I know about that I worked with six pastors and nobody else. You want to have professional diversity and, and there, there's some ways to accomplish that. And then there's banking relationships. You want to have multiple banking relationships. If, if we've learned anything, and, and I, I didn't learn anything, as I've been saying this for years, but if we've learned anything through Silicon Valley Bank, it is, it is you know, stay at or near the, the FDIC insurance limits, but you, you want to have two or three banking relationships, especially if you have debt. That doesn't mean the debt has to be at two or three banks, but there, there's a strategic way you need to take ownership of your banking relationships. Invite your banker to come to your school and see what you're doing. Don't have a parade in their honor. Invite them to your school to see how it works and what you're doing. That will be time well spent for you. Your banker will be stunned that you invited him or her to your school to do this because they're accustomed to having asked to, to come out and get new financial updated financials and see whatever you're up to show off. Most of you are doing incredible work within your walls. Show it off professionally in the right way. I know many of you do tours and other things with prospective families, and that's a great marketing tool as well. I know there's heroic work that goes on there and I'm not, by failing to mention them under our marketing segment, I'm not diminishing that effort as well. That just popped into my head as I was talking about those banking tours. One last thought is, well, first of all, God is faithful. Honor God, be true to scripture in, in all that you do. You're going to be imperfect. Understand that, that we are all depraved sinners and who are saved by God's grace and, and recognize that. But there's a consideration that, I have that is is interesting. It's a new wrinkle and it is, it is the implications of COVID. And I know many of you panicked. You participated in the PPP program, payroll tech protection program. And I know there were stimulus checks and all the rest. And I, I get the whole, the way the economy has been going. And I know there's inflation and I, I know there are all kinds of, of, of issues related to COVID. And, and I, I don't fully understand all of the, I don't think anybody does right now, all of those implications. I think COVID changed public education to a degree. I think it is driving people to Christian schools and homeschooling. And I think that's good. But, but I'm, I'm just going to suggest that you contemplate that for a moment. And, and, I, and, and I'm not advocating for this, but but think about alternative delivery channels. If you can do it well, I have a friend at a large school out in Arizona who they, they do this very, very well. They, they, they deliver alternative, uh, alternatively, they deliver virtual 
classes and and they they partnered with a big college that's well known for doing this and they do it right. So if you're going to do it, do it well, but think about how COVID has changed the world. And you should be if you're if you're a good school that is innovative and understands its value proposition and does some of these other things we've talked about today well, you you should be growing in this in this environment in this context and I know many of you are. But but there there is some artful nuance in in running a Christian school even from a board standpoint, from a governance standpoint, I realize that. I I want you to have for example a strategic plan, but not a document that sits on a shelf collecting dust. A real strategic plan that looks more like a business plan. I want you to have a real org chart. I want you to have actual performance standards, job descriptions. And 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 then the key, I really want all those things to dovetail together so you don't have 50 rock star employees who are just killing it in their performance reviews and yet you're not meeting your strategic objectives. That needs to be a concerted process that dovetails beautifully together and that's not that hard to do. I want you to run it like a business and I don't want that to be a sound like a dirty word. I, I want you to run it like a business that honors God from a Christian worldview perspective. It's possible to, those aren't mutually exclusive. Don't think of, of business and faith on opposite ends of a spectrum any more than you would think of faith and reason on an op- opposite ends of a spectrum. No, those things can go together. Uh, by running it like a business, I don't mean cold and harsh. I mean just prudently, where you pay for things on time, where you charge the right amount, where you're fair and equitable and kind, and that allows you to be generous with people. And maybe maybe you're then able to give scholarships to reach communities that are disadvantaged. I mean, they're, they're, by, by, by running it like a business, I don't mean become cold, hard, and charge everybody $20,000 a year or more for the privilege of being there per student. No, I, I, I actually just mean run it prudently but with Christ at the center, with your Christian worldview. And don't treat Christian worldview like it's some glasses that you put on and take off. No, treat it, treat it like it's a cornea transplant, like it's a, like it's a, a brain transplant. That's really what that renewing your mind is in, in, in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. So I hope this is helpful for those of you who just don't care about this topic. Thank you for staying with me to this point in this episode. We don't talk about this a lot, but I, my heart is for Christian education. I care so much about worldview. We're in an era that is beyond secularism, beyond postmodernism. We're in a scary philosophical period, Christian, where it's important for us to get it together. It's important for this industry to succeed, in, in my humble opinion. I'm delighted to help you. If I'm able to do so, you can contact me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com or go to the website johnwarrenmedia.com and use our contact form there to reach me. I certainly hope you will trust God, prayerfully consider some of this input, not selling books necessarily, but read my book if if you're not going to contact me. It's got some helpful information and I hope it is constructive for your purposes. So Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us 
wherever you get your podcast. I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.